Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we have your great word at our fingertips. We thank you, Father, that you've preserved it, that we might know you, your salvation, your wisdom, and your will. Help us now that we would humble ourselves before you and receive with meekness the implanted word. We pray that you might do what it does, which is saves our souls. We pray that you might bring about salvation to those that don't know Christ. And for those of us who do, we pray that you would continue that work of rescuing us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before my father decided to siphon gasoline with an electric pump out of it, he owned a nice boat. It was supposed to be mine. Thankfully, he survived his colossal blunder with minimal physical consequences. The last time that we took the boat out as a family, we had a lovely time. We motored out to Fisherman's uh, Battleship Cove in Fall River. There was a a jolly old captain and uh, some sidekicks. Uh, Some kids had the opportunity to take the wheel for a bit. It's always good when Aiden has an opportunity to drive something big. (laughs) We slowly uh, moved past a naval vessel, which I captured with this fine shot. And some of us were just chilling in the back. (laughs) So we moved down into Newport. It was really uh, quite a wonderful experience. And we have some pictures to remember it since we won't have that experience again. (laughs) On the way back, my dad opened it up a bit. And then we hit some choppy water. And at that time, I was sitting in the back on one of the ledges. And... (laughs) He hit some choppy water that actually lifted this large, you know, my whole carcass up in the, in the air, and I came crashing down on the side, and it felt like I had broken a couple of ribs. It was just not a pleasant experience. Um, just that quickly, pleasantness can turn to pain. In this life, it often seems that we're traveling through choppy waters, And when that happens, it can feel like things are out of control. And many times, external turbulence leads to inner turmoil. We live in a world in which there is much turmoil and there is much unrest. And these things are just a moment away. No one expected this past Wednesday Wednesday to be gunned down on a baseball field. A few weeks back, Uh, There were continually Warwick policemen patrolling through our parking lot looking for someone who was supposedly breaking into uh, homes in the area. And last week, two prisoners murdered two corrections officers, escaped and put in danger surrounding communities. We are a pain away from finding out we have some kind of debilitating disease in our bodies. We Some of us may be one phone call away from a deployment. We are all one car ride away from being killed in an auto accident. 
whether from someone not paying attention on their cell phone, intoxicated, on drugs, or otherwise distracted. So we have to answer questions like this one. When there is external turmoil, must there be inner turmoil? When there is external turmoil, must there be inner turmoil? We're in Mark chapter 4. I want for us to read this text that was already our responsive reading this morning. It captures very nicely the concept that I believe we need to consider this morning. God's Word says, On that day when evening had come, He said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Preemptively, let me just say, did He say, let us go part way across? Let's die in the middle of this. He said, let's go to the other side, right? It's pretty clear. He intended to get to the other side, no? That was his intention. And um, just remember that Jesus is God. So when God intends to do something, guess what happens? It gets done. All right, verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. In other words, they didn't go grab things. It was just, he was already out uh, off of the shore a little bit, teaching the crowds. They didn't go and grab anything. They just took off with the boats. And other boats were with him. So this was not a one-ship cruise. It was a, a few ships, at least. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. So... Here you have these, this, this windstorm comes and the water is lifting up. We're not talking about oh, some rippling, oh, where we have some, some choppy water. No, the, the water is, is so ferocious that it's breaking into the boat. The boat's filling. This is a dangerous circumstance. Verse 38, But he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, the response of the disciples is natural. It's natural. They were filled with anxiety. It says in verse 38, um, don't you care that we're perishing? You can see the, the turmoil within them. They, 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 they want some solution. Uh, maybe better than anxiety, uh, the word panic comes to mind. They're panicked. Why? Because the water is breaking into the boat. If, if you were out on the sea and the water was breaking into the boat and it's filling up, there would be some sense of turmoil going on inside of you, an anxiety or a panic. We panic about all kinds of things. You'll remember that Martha panicked that supper would not be done properly and on time. Uh, you can also remember that Elijah panicked that Jezebel was going to kill him. There are all kinds of things that we panic about. Sometimes we panic about not paying a bill. 
not having a job, not fighting off a disease. And the Bible says in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for... It rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? We've all memorized it, most of us. Be anxious for... We know it. It's so natural. Particularly if you're in a church service, it's easy to say, oh, be anxious for nothing. In a Bible study, oh, be anxious for nothing. But then life is there. And difficulty comes. And you're faced with it. And there's no escaping it. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything through prayer and, uh, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What will happen? And the peace of God, which surpasses, it goes past, it surpasses all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The disciples' response was natural. They were panicked. And then they were... This is, this is where it gets a little tricky, right? Then they start to accuse Jesus. Accusation is also kind of a natural response to calamity. Why me? Why now? Why this? Why God? We're normal people. And so these things arise in our hearts. They're in the boat with God made flesh. And they wake him up and say, Don't you care? We're perishing? They're accusing him. That is not, that is not a literal question. That is, a, that is an accusation. Much like Martha. Do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Much like David in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? In other words, talk to myself. Having sorrow in my heart daily. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? It is, it's a natural thing when, when difficulty comes to question. I think when, when we start to question the Almighty God, we have crossed into some, some challenging places, don't you think? There's nothing wrong with asking God to reveal to you what, what's going on, what, what do you want me to learn from here, um, interact at your appointed time. You know, there's nothing wrong with appealing to Him. We, we ought to appeal to Him. He wants us to come to Him with freedom of speech. This is one of the great, great glories of having Jesus the high priest. He's passed through the heavens, right? We know this. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He has compassion on us in our weaknesses. And then it says, and we can boldly enter into the throne room of grace. Why? That we might have help at the time of need. We might receive mercy to help in time of need. It's normal to ask questions, but the Bible really commends us and declares that we had better, we have a better course. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, verse 6 says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. And then he says, Casting all your care on Me or Him, for He cares for you. Their response was natural. Their response was, Don't you care? I wonder, what would Jesus' response have been had they addressed him differently? What if they just said, Jesus, we're a little afraid. 
Or, Jesus, can you help us? Something different. I wonder if he would have said, Peace, be still. And the wind stopped, and the water was calm as glass. I wonder if that would have happened anyway. Methinks so. Um, it didn't necessitate an accusation from the disciples to get a response of God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. The response of Jesus is supernatural. The response of Jesus is supernatural. First of all, can you get a better picture of peace than sleep? Now, how many of you have children? Raise your hand high. All right. Now, you know during the day, and they're really, maybe you fed them too much sugar or something, and they're really ah, rambunctious, and things, things are, can be really hectic, etc., etc. You, you, know, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? You've been there? Yes. Then you, like maybe you, you at the, by the end of the day, sometimes, some days, you feel like you're at the end of your rope. It's like, oh my goodness, I, please, it's time for bed. And you put them to bed, right? And if you're like me, you, every now and then, not every day, but every now and then, like after they go to bed, you go and kind of look in there and see those little things. And you think, man, how cute are they? How sweet is that? They, were, they might have been a bit of a terror at one point during the day, and you weren't feeling that same sense. But when they're lying in their bed, you can see the peace, the peace of your child, and it's like your heart fills, fills with good emotion toward them. The, the sweetness of that peace gives you a peace in your own soul. There's something about sleep that indicates and shows this peace. And here's Jesus in the same storm that the disciples are panicked in and accusing God in. And Jesus is asleep in the stern on a cushion. Why? He knew that they were going to get to the other side. He knows the end from the beginning because He is the end from the beginning. Jesus is peace. In Psalm 3, the psalmist writes, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and He heard me from His holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. Terror without, peace within. Why? Because He said, God heard me so I can go to bed and sleep. The Bible says in Psalm 127 and verse 2, He gives His beloved sleep. Jesus' response is supernatural. He has peace within Himself, and then He demonstrates the power to bring about peace. He issues command to both the wind and to the sea, Peace! Be still. And it is not shocking to many of us 
that the wind and the sea obeyed him, for he is the Lord of creation. The Gospel of Mark is filled with the authority of the Lord Jesus. He has power over disease and power over demons, power over tradition, power over sin, and now in this context, power over wind and waves. This is not surprising because He is the Creator of everything. Jesus' response is supernatural. Jesus then reveals the real problem. The real problem is not that there are waves and wind and water coming into the boat. The real problem is something much more frightening. In verse 40, He says this, He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still... No faith? I think it's a good question for you and I to ask as we consider, you know, we're not in a boat and we're not in the, 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 the waves and the water's not breaking in. So I'm not asking you to like, well, what, what, what wave is breaking into your boat? But you are living in a world that's filled with turbulence, right? And difficulties come. If we can trust God for our eternal salvation... Can we not trust God for the difficulties that we face? Yes? If you trust God to carry you from the, the brink of the lake of fire due to your sin into His glorious presence forever, if we trust Him with that, can we not trust Him for our food and our health and our well-being? I think we can. And I think that this, this account of Jesus experience with his disciples that was not unintentional it was very much god ordained i think we can learn something from it for those who are the children of god there is probably nothing more reproachable than unbelief did you hear that for the children of god there is probably nothing more reproachable than unbelief jesus tied their fear to a lack of faith you and i can look at the disciples and think, come on, don't you know that Jesus is in the boat with you? It's easy to look down our noses at someone else in history because you know the rest of the story. You weren't in the midst of the sea. It's easy for you to look at your neighbor and say, hey, you know, why can't you trust God? Aren't you big enough for this? Aren't you strong enough for this? Don't you have enough mental fortitude for this? Don't you have enough faith for this? It's easy for us to start accusing other people You know, you you can't have faith for someone else. And your criticism or my criticism of someone else isn't helping them, isn't hurting them, and it certainly isn't helping us, but it certainly is hurting us when we start criticizing other people's problems. What about you? What about me? What about me and my trust in a glorious, perfect Sovereign God. That's what is at issue. The Bible tells us, and in fact we have this on the, the screen to turn to, so t- take a look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. You know, talking for however long we have, 50 minutes or so, on the subject of peace, it, it really is a, a daunting task. You could literally spend weeks and weeks and weeks with how much the Bible speaks of peace and how, how applicable that is and how helpful it is to our souls 
to meditate upon what God says about His peace and what that means. Uh, so we had to, to narrow it down to some certain key passages to, to help us consider it. In Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 5, the Bible says this, Keep your life free from the love of money. In other versions, it just simply says covetousness. And be content with what you have. Well, what do you have? He's about to tell you. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So here in Hebrews 13, he's, he's at the end of his argumentation in the book, and he's telling us that, that Jesus, God, is with you, and he's not going to depart from you, quotes from Joshua. It's quoted elsewhere as well. He, he, he's letting us know that, that God doesn't forsake his people. Earlier in the book of Hebrews, as he was talking about rest, which is another way of saying peace, he said, Many of the, those in the, back in the wilderness day perished in the wilderness, and it was because of their unbelief. And he goes on to say, there remains a rest, a rest for the people of God. Well, what is that rest like? Well, just know that that little section is bracketed. In, in Hebrews 3.1, he says, I want you to think about, consider the apostle and high priest of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and talks about unbelief, and he talks about, about their, their unbelief, and, and then the, this rest. And then he ends the whole section in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, talking about our high priest, Jesus, who has gone into heavens and says, now we can go boldly before the throne of grace and, and, and ask for God's help. This, that's the whole section. It starts with Jesus the high priest, and it ends with Jesus the high priest. And in between, there's this discussion of unbelief, and rest because peace, real peace, arrives out of faith in who God is. So, with that segment and informing Hebrews 13, as he comes to the conclusion of this great letter, he lets us know here the, the, the greatest thing you can have. The, the one thing that, that can keep you content, whether you have ten bucks or none, is that God never forsakes His people under any circumstance. You know, it's easy to amen that in church. But when life bears down on you, you know, I, forgive me for this, ready? Forgive me. I, I actually on Friday turned on Joel Osteen on my computer. I did. And I actually listened for more than three seconds. Normally, I, I can only bear it for about three seconds. I actually listened, and you know, they go through this little chant at the beginning of their service, and he smiles and stuff. He talks about how handsome he is and how glorious his wife is and things like this. It was, it was, it was pretty interest, interesting. It, like, it was the most interesting I've ever heard him. Um, when, when, when all of your ducks are in a row and everything lines up, and all of your bills are paid, and your health is pristine, and your retirement package is set, it's kind of easy to smile. And I don't think that has anything to do with knowing God. Sometimes life is actually hard. 
Maybe not for you yet. Maybe you have not had that time yet. But it's coming, son. It's coming, daughter of God. It's coming. Life is not filled with just joy experiences all the time. Life is filled with difficulty. And here's what God tells you will sustain you in the storm. I will never leave you or forsake you. See, some of you are going through difficulty that I'm not going through. I might be going through some difficulty that some of you aren't going through. And you know what? The truth is the same for all of us that know Christ. If you're one of his children and that promise is for you, and you have the same opportunity for this abiding faith and contentment and peace. Jesus reveals the real problem that the disciples had in the boat. They didn't trust him. I want you to notice something else back in Mark. Head back to Mark chapter 4 just for a moment. Then we're going to launch off into some other places for our edification. What I want for us to notice and I think this is, this is so, such a divine gift to us. And all of God's Word is a divine gift, right? Some, some things that God gives us are just, thank you for showing me that. The removal of turbulence did not remove all of the disciples' fears. Jesus rebuked the wind and commanded the sea. Peace be still. The, the wind stopped and the sea was still as glass. Verse 41. And they were filled with joy. If you have that, then you have the wrong version. (laughs) It says, they were filled with what? Great fear. The New American Standard says, they became very much afraid. The King James says, and they feared exceedingly. In ours, they were filled with great fear. Here's what the Greek says. It's great. You're going to love this. And they were being fearful, fear great. I love Greek word order. It's great. They were being fearful, and just so you don't miss it, fear great. The word megas. You hear mega there. That's mega fear. What do you mean? I understand being fearful when the wind and the waves are breaking in and you think you're going to die. Then you wake Jesus up. He gets up and says, peace be still. And now you're greatly fearing? Mega fear? What's going on? They didn't know who it was. They were in the boat with. They didn't comprehend that God in the flesh was in the boat with him. And they still were fearful in their inner man even though their external turbulence was over. External turbulence, folks, is not our biggest problem. You want to get rid of them? Of course you do. You're normal. I want to get rid of all external turbulence. I don't want bickering in my home. I don't want pain in my body. I don't want to be diagnosed with cancer. I don't want to get that call that says you're going to go away from your family for a year. I don't want any of that nonsense. None of that is exciting to me. 
We want those turbulences to go away. But that's not our problem. Our problem dwells in our heart right here. Are we at peace with God? Do we know Him? If you know Him, the diagnosis is not the issue. The bickering is not the issue. The financial crunch is not the issue. The call you get on the phone is not the issue. Being at peace with God says, my God reigns. What He wills is right. What He wills, I need. I need. I need the surgery. I need the treatment or the funky food diet. I need to go away. I need the turbulence around me. If I don't have the turbulence around me, I'll never see the turbulence within me. See, these things all bring out our wickedness. They reveal the idols of our heart. And when our idols are exposed, we can recognize them for what they are. They are competing with God for my allegiance. I need the turbulence. The removal of turbulence did not remove all of the disciples' fears. Who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him? They didn't know who he was. Not that at that point. Later on, after the resurrection and the indwelling spirit, turbulence was all around these men to their death. And they trusted and lived for God. Here are some other elements that I think we need to consider to round out this discussion. God dwells in perpetual peace because He is peace. God dwells in perpetual peace because He is peace. Romans 15 says this, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, it seems like He's just closing out that chapter or that part of the discussion. Yes, that's true. It doesn't change the fact that He gives Himself a title. The God of peace. Same thing at the end of Romans 16. The God of peace will crush, uh, soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Uh, Philippians 4.9 What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. May your whole Spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13.20 Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. And he goes on. But Now may the God of peace. This is who He is. This is who by Jesus Christ created the world by the word of His mouth. This is the one that walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. This is the one that visited them 
after they chose to listen to the serpent and told them that there was a Redeemer coming. This is the one that told Noah that, that what's going on here is not good, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the one that told Abraham, or Abram at the time, I, I'm going to make you a, a great people. I'm going to make you for myself a people that, through whom blessing will flood into all the earth. This is the one this is the one, folks, that some 2,000 years ago took on human flesh, was born as a baby, suffered the indignity of having his mom change his diaperish, whatever thing was going on back in the first century, helpless and needy. This is the one who grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the one that fully obeyed the law. This is the one that was rejected indeed by men. This is the one that the Bible calls the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's the God of peace. The Bible says he's the prince of peace. And one day he will bring that peace to earth. This peace that God is, he lives in a perpetual state of it because he is peace. God will bring about an eternal peace. Did you know that? God will bring about an eternal peace. One that will not be interrupted by anything. Take a look please at Revelation 21 for a moment. In Revelation 21, it's a familiar passage because you've probably been to a funeral where it's been read. And it has its application in a funeral, certainly. Uh, it has more of an application for, for us as we consider what our future in Christ has in store. In Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore. Now, some of you read mourning like M-O-R-N-I-N-G. You thought, man, I'm never going to have to set the alarm again. This is going to be great. But it was a different kind of mourning, a different kind of celebration. Not the, I don't have to wake up from the alarm anymore, but there'll be no more need to sorrow anymore. Verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making what? Let, try that again. Let's do that in unity. Ready? I am making all things new. And he, also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Look down at verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will all the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Look at chapter 22 and verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city also, uh, on either side of the, the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. God will bring about an eternal peace. And that eternal peace will just be a demonstration of who He is. God is peace. I have some good news for you and for me. God is willing to share His peace with us. God is willing to share His peace with us. And John... 1427, the Bible says, Jesus is speaking, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace and fear are not synonymous. In John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have what? Peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ, what does it say? Rule in your hearts. The word rule there is that of a referee. Now, in this day and age with referees, they make a lot of mistakes. Um, that's, it's not talking about the referees that make errors. There's no instant replay needed for, for this referee. The peace of God to make decisions, accurate decisions in your life, rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful. And then, of course, what we mentioned earlier from Philippians 4, do not be anxious for, about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will be a watchdog 
for your heart. It will, it will stand the watch and it will not fail and it never has to say, I stand relieved. It never has any of that. It goes on and on. It, God's peace doesn't need a rest. It doesn't retire. It remains. It's available to us. This peace is a result of walking in the Spirit. It is the third fruit of the Spirit. There is an everlasting or eternal peace to come. But in the intervening days, God is still demonstrating His peace. He does so through the lives of His people. We are to be a looking glass through which the world sees God's peace. They're not going to find it out there. They find it in some other church that holds to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who, whose, whose folks walk in the power of the Spirit. They'll see it there too. Not, not talking about we, or we're the only ones. Not, no. Believers, the church, is the only place that God's peace is truly on display unless we're like the disciples in the boat, in fear, and accusing God of not caring. I don't know what you're facing, but it's likely that you're facing some difficulty. When there is difficulty in our circumstances, many times there is also inner turmoil. But God offers to you and me peace. True peace begins with a relationship of peace in Jesus Christ. The reason Jesus came was to die in our place. The Bible says that He brought about the opportunity for peace through the blood of His cross. Our sin places us in an adversarial relationship with a holy God. But in His love, He broke down this hostility. If you trust in Jesus, who died in your place for your sin and rose triumphant over your sin, you can have peace with God and eternal life in God's peaceful presence. In this world, we will experience trouble. We will. In the midst of that trouble, we can have peace. So, over the last week or so, our daughter, Addie, has been having difficulty sleeping. And sometimes it's my turn. One of the times that I went in, she was screaming. She wasn't crying, she was screaming. She was having some kind of a nightmare. She was petrified. So, I, you know, I go through the ritual of, you know, patting the back and making sure she has her binky or two and a cover on, and she was, she was having none of that. She was screaming. So I picked her up. I said, Addie, Daddy's right here. Look at me. Look at me. I'm right here. Made her open her eyes, and her beautiful little eyes opened up. She looked into my eyes. It's dark, but light enough. All her anxieties went away. She no longer was in the nightmare. She woke up. Daddy's here. Look at me. 
Now, folks, God's not going to say, hey, I'm right here. Look at me. But he has. He said, I'm right here. There's nothing else to do but to look to me. I am your God. I am a God of peace. I have plans for you. What kind of plans? I have plans that everything you've experienced in this life will pale into insignificance when you are in my presence. Trust me. Trust me. I ask you, do you trust this God who spoke the world into existence? Do you trust this God with your day-to-day life the way that you have entrusted to Him your eternal soul? Believer, if you can trust Him with the most important thing in your life, your eternal soul, can you trust Him today? Can you trust Him tomorrow? You can. Maybe you're here and you don't, you don't know. You don't, your eternal soul is in question. You don't know about that stuff. Maybe that's... Maybe you're resistant to it. I want to just tell you, this God who has declared Himself both by what He has made, what He has done, and what He has revealed will satisfy your soul and will give you a peace that is unmatched in anything else that you have ever experienced. He is present. And He will not depart. He is forever the same. And He is more than enough. He declares His peaceful nature in that it was offensive to Him to leave you to deal with the consequences of your own sin. So He sent His Son to deal with the consequences of your sin and my sin so that rather than to have eternal enmity with God, we could have eternal peace with God. You can know that peace today if you will trust in Jesus alone. Let's pray together. Father, we need You. This, this subject is, is needed. And as much as I have tried to be a vessel, I know that I can only just point, point to You and point to Your Word. And I pray, Father, that even in this moment now, that You would be producing within us Help us to realize that this peace that we've spoken of is a proper expectation for a believer when they walk in the Spirit. And I pray, Father, that we would not settle for anything less than this. I pray that you would help us when we are in a condition that does not demonstrate this kind of peace that we've discussed, that we would repent, that we would confess our sin, and that we would yield ourselves in full surrender to you, realizing that you do, in fact, care for us. We know that that care 
produces a wholeness of spirit, a tranquility of mind. We ask, Father, for anyone here that's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, that they would know your peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.